Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I am very excited for this week's episode on financial freedom with J.L. Collins. J.L. is considered the godfather of the financial independence retire early movement. He wrote a book called The Simple Path to Wealth, which totally redefined the way that I think about uh, generating wealth and wealth as a tool for freedom. Like some of you, I think growing up, uh, social programming had me vilify money. Uh, and thankfully, over the years, I've been reprogramming my brain to be more oriented towards seeing money as a tool and a powerful tool, um, which can be utilized for good in the right hands. And it's also a tool that can foster our freedom. And to me, that is one of my core values. And what I love about JL's uh, approach is it's accessible to anyone. Anyone listening can apply his principles no matter where you are in the world. And it's a way of looking at time and our resources in a way that compounds for freedom. So I think you're going to find a lot of value in this episode. We go into great depths. JL's a great guy. And I think if you are on a journey to utilizing your money and your wealth as a tool to liberate yourself, this will be an incredibly valuable conversation. Before we get into it, I'm just going to do a a shout out to a couple of our partners, and then we'll get into the show with J.L. Collins. The first tool is Momentum. I discovered momentum as I as I talk about drinking as a tool for using drinking instead of for my detriment for my optimal wellness. And momentum is the definitive longevity shake and supplement. I have been researching on this journey of peak mind how to optimize my life, my health, what are the supplements that one needs to to do so? And when I discovered Momentum, I reached out to the founder, Mike, and I said, man, I got to try this. And uh, another guest of the show, Ben Greenfield, basically spoke about it with, with flying colors. And I was like, okay, let me check this out. And I did. And it's got NAD+. It's got the highest quality whey protein powder from, from cows, uh, literally in Ireland, where they're not exposed to the same sort of GMOs and, and pesticides and whatnot that we find across the, the U.S. Collagen, omega-3s, sun fiber, lion's made, hydrolonic acid, vitamins D3 and K2, L-glutamine, TMG, B-complex vitamins, cordyceps, essential minerals, and magnesium. These are some of the most essential ingredients you can find, and Momentum has the highest quality sourcing I have come across in the entire industry. And not only that, they package it together in a single delicious shake, which has now become a daily habit for me. Sometimes I'll actually go work out just because my reward is that I get to drink momentum afterwards. I highly recommend you check it out. 
Um, it's delicious. Subscribe. I drink it every day. You can check them out at MomentumShake.com. Again, that is MomentumShake.com. They have some incredible resources on the website. So if you're considering, uh, you can really do a deep dive into their sourcing, into each of the ingredients and why they are so impactful on your health and well-being. And if you have any questions, please feel to reach out to me at Michael Trainer online. I'd be happy to share. It's one of my favorite new discoveries. This episode is also brought to you by Upgraded Formulas. Upgraded Formulas I discovered uh, as a result of a hair test that I did through them, which basically shows how you are doing in your mineral absorption. What minerals are in your body uh, and where is that impacting your health, your energy levels, uh, and your optimal wellness. And much to my surprise, I discovered that I have huge heavy metal exposure, which has profound consequences if it goes untreated, potential neurological consequences, you know, dementia, cancers, a lot of really gnarly uh, consequences. And so I was elated, not that at the results, but that I actually discovered those, uh, those high levels and have now taken action. And I've been working with Upgraded Formulas and their, their founder, Barton, to basically optimize my mineral levels as I reduce the stressors on my body and put myself into a position to win in my detoxification of heavy metals and also in optimizing my metabolism, getting my thyroid in balance, getting my, you know, my cortisol levels down, my stressors. I've been incorporating a lot more magnesium into my morning and night routines, which has actually increased my deep sleep, which I'm noticing has had profound consequences on my energy. I uh, personally am also working on their natural boosters for testosterone to get my hormones in an optimal way. And so if you're looking at optimizing minerals, which are so important for your overall well-being, if you're looking at optimizing your hormones, if you're concerned about heavy metals and detoxification, definitely check out Upgraded Formulas. It's UpgradedFormulas.com. And please go ahead and get yourself that test and or they have some optimal uh, packaging of different supplements commensurate with your needs, whether that be hormones, energy, detoxification. So check them out, upgradedformulas.com. Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I have the distinct honor and pleasure today of speaking with J.L. Collins, uh, some call the godfather of financial independence and author of one of my favorite books, Simple Path to Wealth, and author of the newly released Pathfinders. J.L., it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, the honor is mine, Michael. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation. Yes. Yeah, so just for those listening, because not everyone will be familiar with the term financial independence. And I think it's a very helpful context to enroll people into, I think. Um, and we'll get into money mindset and, and things of that nature uh, in just a moment. But I really love it because one of the things I loved about when I, especially when I was reading Simple Path to Wealth is you very clearly articulate a path that any person can follow should they choose to. And that is a distinct, I, I think a lot of the, and you even, I think, speak about this, 
a lot of the financial industry, I think, exists on making complex terminology and complex uh, vehicles, investment vehicles and such in such a way that it feels like you need a financial advisor. You need someone outside yourself uh, to empower you, um, which oftentimes is scary for a lot of people. Right. So what I what I like about your work is you're talking about everyday people who are empowering themselves through their finances. And right. this is something I think that is, uh, it shouldn't be revolutionary, but, uh, but I think unfortunately it is in, in many regards. So can you talk a little bit about how you think about financial independence and then some of the tenants that people can apply as they think about it, uh, in empowering themselves towards being in a, um, in, in a financially independent way? So first of all, thank you for the kind words about simple path to wealth. And you're right. I mean, it, it, I wrote that book for my daughter and, and by extension, you know, ordinary people who want to be financially successful, who recognize how much better their life can be if they are, but they're not financial nerds. They, as my daughter said to me once coming back from college, she said, Dad, I understand this is important. I just don't want to have to think about it all the time. Well, right. that was an epiphany for me, right? So the simple path to wealth lays out a strategy where you don't have to think about it all the time. All you need to do is understand a few simple concepts and then execute the strategy those concepts lead you to. And you mentioned it's for everybody. And that's absolutely true. But a lot of the pushback when people initially hear this is, oh, that's that must only be for very high salaried people or some sort of elites. And I could never do it. And the truth is that it's available to everybody. And Pathfinders, which you were kind enough to mention, is a hundred stories of people who are on the path. Sometimes there are stories from people at the starting point in the mid-range, all the way to people who've, who've achieved full financial independence and, and are there. So in some ways, I've come to think of, while Pathfinders is a sequel to A Simple Path, which came out in 2016, in some ways, it's a better introduction uh, for people who are new to this whole concept because they can read Pathfinders and read these stories and know, oh, this can be done. This is something that could work for me. And then they're, if they're intrigued and, and they want to start walking down that path, well, then the simple path to wealth is a manual is how to actually do it. Uh, and then I want to touch on, on the that, comment that's you made right. I just want to also interject the one piece on that before sure. you bridge, which is I think Please. the other the other piece is uh, which you'll get into is is the index fund investing, which happens to be across the U.S. market. Now, I think you make a really valid point about how that actually does still include international exposure. If you think about how those Correct. businesses are run, but Pathfinders, I think, diversifies also with the international base that you've generated through your writings, your blog, your books, right. uh, where we are now, you know, now it's got this huge global reach where people from all around the world can apply these same principles in their life. So anyway, I just wanted to interject briefly to, to share that. Yeah, well, that's that's actually I'm going to I'm going to focus on that for a second because I appreciate you bringing it up. One of the things almost from the moment Simple Path to Wealth came out, I started people started sharing their stories with me about how they were implementing the, the lessons in it. And what was remarkable to me is I wrote The Simple Path to Wealth for one person. That's my daughter who was in college. 
right. the beginning of her journey, and she's an American. So without my strategically intending it, it's a pretty U.S.-centric book, and it's focused on somebody who hasn't inflated their life and doesn't have to unravel that or hasn't made suboptimal investments, and now they're 30 or 40 years old trying to figure out where to go from here. And yet, people in those situations, not only in the U.S., but all around the world, have been able to look past that focus of the book and, and extract the principles into their, into their own lives. And of course, the stories in Pathfinders are the stories of how, how, they're, how they're doing that. But I do want to circle back to what you said about the financial industry. Because it's absolutely true. I think people have this impression that investing is extraordinarily complex and, and probably beyond their capabilities. And they're not wrong about that because Wall Street has created extraordinarily complex products. And they do that because the more complex the product is, the more commissions and fees you can charge with those and the more you can convince people that, yes, this is beyond your capabilities. Don't worry your pretty little head about it. Come to us, pay us our fees and our commissions, and we will take care of it. Here's the truth. Imagine you had a, a banquet table filled with all kinds of exotic dishes that, that were incredibly complex to make. Well, you could put your arm on that table and sweep all that stuff onto the floor except this little corner of the table where the basic wholesome fruits and vegetables and meats and, and, and what have you are there that you, that you really need to be healthy. doesn't mean that those mm -hmm. exotic things aren't fun to taste once in a while, but you don't need those. Well, in the investment world, it's the same thing. All that complex thing, all those complex things yeah. that you read about and you see on TV, you can sweep them on the floor because all you need to be financially secure to achieve financial independence and, by the way, to outperform virtually everything else out there. And it's not just me saying this. This is Jack Vogel. This is Warren Buffett. This is Charlie Munger saying these kinds of, kinds of things is broad-based, low-cost index funds. And those are the soul of simplicity, and they are the heart of the simple path to wealth. Yeah, I, I think that's that's so powerful. I, I just actually went to an investment seminar, and you know, we talked about so much of this game is a psychological game. You know, you've talked you talk mm -hmm. in Pathfinders. There's a gentleman who, you know, who who had been investing his whole life, only to realize that his investments, instead of compounding to millions, had had decreased in value because he realized while he was a great saver, he was a terrible investor. Because he, like many people, uh, and this is the trick, right? Like he 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 bought uh high and and sold low you know instead of instead of the reverse he he you know he 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 was an emotional investor and the the beautiful thing i think that you mentioned one of the things that really struck me when you talked about uh index funds especially um the you know vtsax and and, and those that are kind of total market funds is that you use this concept of self cleaning and i think that that's so valuable because so oftentimes when you pick an individual stock or an individual investment, it's really, even if you're a long-term investor, it's still incumbent upon you to know, when am I going to sell that? What are going to be the indicators for me to sell that? Whereas what I like about your philosophy is you're kind of setting yourself up 
to automate to power your life and the freedom that your that your that your life can afford if you have financial means and time ahead of you, uh, and and really valid you know validating that, but and also not vilifying money, actually celebrating money uh, for the tool it can be in the context of powering that life of your dreams. Uh, so I'd love if you could talk a little bit about self-cleaning in the context of why index funds are, are, are so important and then maybe tied into some of the other tenets of, of financial independence in terms of like living below your means, saving, et cetera, but that's so that you can live this lifestyle once you've created this, this context of, of, of having kind of the FU money, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, self-cleansing is a term I, I coined and I'm pretty proud of it because it describes the dynamic of a fund like VTSAX. And maybe just to define what that is, VTSAX is a total stock market index fund, happens to be the one that Vanguard uh, puts out, but other financial companies have their versions of, of total stock market index funds. But what self-cleansing means is that when you buy VTSAX, you are buying every publicly traded company in the United States. And that runs around 4,000 companies. Sometimes it's a little more, sometimes it's, it's fewer because it's a dynamic index. Companies get added to the index all the time as, you know, there are startups and then they grow to a certain level and then they, they get added to the end. They go public, they have to go public first and they get added to the index. And of course, other companies, uh, their star is fading or they're not succeeding and they will drift off the index. That's the self-cleansing part. And the beauty of it is that as those failing companies drift away, the most you could possibly lose would be 100%. And you're probably not going to lose that because they will fall off the index before they get there. Now, that sounds pretty horrifying to lose that kind of money. But the ones that are on the way up can increase by 100% or 200 or 500 or 10,000. So it's kind of a rigged game in your favor. And I never have to worry about when to sell a stock because it's just going to drift away without my thinking about it. I never have to worry about which stocks are in the process of rising to the top. One of the uh, pushbacks against a fund like VTSAX is that it is cap-weighted, which means the biggest companies have the biggest share of, of the fund. And so people will say, well, the truth is VTSAX is really just the top 10 or 20 companies. And that's true. That's where the bulk of the assets are. And then they'll say, well, and that's those are all technology companies or predominantly technology companies. And therefore, what you're really buying is a sector technology fund. Okay, that's true as far as it goes, but that's part of the self-cleansing. So I can remember when those top companies were not technology companies, when they were energy companies. I can remember a time when they were financial companies. So just like stocks rise and fall, and the, the fund is self-cleansing in that regard, sectors will also rise and fall. So I have no idea how long technology is going to be at the top of the heap. And I don't care. I don't have to worry about it because when the time comes and something replaces it, and I also don't have to guess what that something's going to be, because whatever it is, I will own it by definition. The beauty of this is I can and I do own VTSAX forever. I'm never going to sell it. The only time I would sell it is when I'm living on the portfolio and maybe selling a few shares each year to 
to raise the money that I, that I want to spend. But I can hold it forever, and when I die, pass it on to my heirs. And, and, and the, the context is, for those listening, uh, and, and perhaps you can either correct me or emphasize the point as needed, but is that to get to a place where you are living off the proceeds, it's basically sort of 25x your annual living expenses and or 4% of your total holdings. In other words, the interest that is being generated from your investments so that you're not sort of drawing down the principal and that ideally that can fund your lifestyle uh, from here forward. Is that is that a, a sort of a correct summation and or is there anything you would add to that in terms of uh, like the end game goal that, that one would go for to sort of declare themselves um, financially independent? Right. So I, I, I would I would slightly modify the second part of what you said. So please, the, the most important part, you, you were spot on. So financial independence is a function of two factors. It's a function of how much you spend, how much you need each year. And it's a mm-hmm. function of how much you have. And as you correctly observed, yeah. if the amount you spend each year, let's say it's $40,000, you multiply that by 25, which would in this case would give you a million dollars. That tells you that to be financially independent, you need a million dollars because the Trinity study suggests that if you pull 4% a year from a from a portfolio, it will last for the long term. Right? It'll last for at least 30 years. So you pull 4% from that million dollars, that gives you 40,000. So that's, that's, that's the math behind it. The one slight thing I, I would say differently is it's not 4% interest. So for instance, VTSAX as a dividend that about at the moment is one and a half percent. So if you were spending $40,000 and you had a million dollars in BTSAX, what you would do is you would say to Vanguard, I want you to, to take those dividends that hopefully you'd been having reinvested as you were building your wealth. I don't want you to reinvest them anymore. I want you to send them to my checking account so I can spend them. Well, that's a percent and a half of the four percent. The other two and a half percent, you would have to get by selling a little bit of your VTX shares. So you are selling a little bit of the principal, right? So you can set that up just as easily. You call uh, Vanguard and you say, okay, every once a year, once a quarter, once a month, uh, I want you to sell a enough shares to raise that two and a half percent, you know, and and you would figure out what that number is, and then they will automate it, and that will go into your into your uh, checking account or wherever you tell them to go. So you are selling some of the principal, but the reason that your portfolio lasts is that the the um, BTSAX itself is going to grow far more on average over the decades or over the years than that two and a half percent. And that extra growth mm. is what allows the for- portfolio to survive. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I, um, it absolutely makes sense because so to, I think she's a, you had mentioned she's a friend of yours, but I read, um, so Laura, the, the, um, she, she had basically her and her partner, um, had raised about a million dollars through their jobs. Right. So they weren't investors. Mm-hmm. And they weren't uh, they weren't 
entrepreneurs that had some big exit, right? Which I think in the West, those are the two ways we often think someone has a sudden windfall and then they're financially independent, right? They had actually saved their way to a million dollars and they followed your exact strategy of investing it all into this all market uh, uh, index fund. Um, and, and what was fascinating is, so, so I think what, what I loved is you just made the point of, right, we often think about savings, but it's also, and, I, and you draw this point out in, in, in the book, this notion of, of lifestyle inflation, right? So I'd love to get into that in, in a second, but it's also how we're living now, right? So clearly the more, the, the, the less we can, you know, the more we can save, obviously, the faster we can get to that place uh, with investment of being sort of financially independent. Um, but what was powerful is a million dollars, I think, for many people listening, of course, when I was growing up, a millionaire seemed like a big deal. Now living right. in the state of California in, in 2023 doesn't sound like such a big deal. But what was right. powerful about what they shared is they also did something which may be commonly known for some people in the audience, but probably not for many, which is is kind of location arbitrage, right? So they also chose to move to a place where where that where that where that dollar or whatever money you're denominating in uh, goes a lot further, right? So when we say, "Oh, forty thousand dollars a year," some people might think, "Oh, well, that's a significant amount of money." Some people think, "Oh, that's next to nothing. I can't, I can't. That barely covers my rent in L.A." Um, well, yes, sure, but. One, that million dollars, at least in their instance, now this obviously is totally dependent on the year in which that, that's all vested, et cetera. You can't say that one, you know, it, it will work exactly the same for each person. But actually in a recession, through the course of a few years, they, they, they didn't even pull out, they didn't even pull out that, that draw that you were mentioning out to the same degree. Right. And it appreciated to 1.4 million. And they were living in, I think it was Thailand or some, somewhere in Southeast Asia where the dollar went particularly far. And, uh, you know, th this is obviously a very common use case in your community. But I think for those listening who may not be familiar, it, it's, a, it's a really innovative way of thinking about actually, quote unquote, retirement can happen a lot earlier. And retirement doesn't even have to look like you stop working. But the context, which I love that you emphasize is, you're less dependent on other people kind of to live your life as you so choose <laughs> that that notion of that independence can come a lot sooner if you think creatively about what life can be and you and 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 I think at a deeper level you live commensurate with your with your vision and your values and that prioritization of that freedom right which is slightly different from I think what's often encouraged culturally which is you know like which is basically the encouragement of tremendous amounts of debt to buy things that you don't need to impress people who don't really care in the first place. But, uh, right. but yeah, I'll pause yeah. there. And I'd love to hear you talk about this concept, which, which you drew out that I thought was really beautifully articulated in the notion of, of lifestyle inflation and, uh, and, and, and oftentimes how we get ahead of ourselves and how that kind of robs us of our potential future. Yeah, so um, I'll start by saying uh, you covered a lot of ground there, but you know, I, one of the one of the things that stuck out to me is you know, a million dollars, for instance, can can seem like a like a daunting task, and right. uh, you know, especially for somebody who says, you know, I, gee, I need more than forty thousand dollars a year, maybe I need a hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, now we're talking about two and a half million dollars. I think, you know, as the proverb goes, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So this is not an on-off switch. Uh, the moment you start 
saving and investing your money. It's just like going to the gym. The moment you start going to the gym, you're not going to bench press 300 pounds that day, but you're going to be a little stronger than the day before. And so every, the moment you start on the journey, you become a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. And the stronger you become, the more, um, the bolder the decisions you can make in your life. You know, if you are living paycheck to paycheck or even worse are in debt to, uh, try to, try to maintain some sort of inflated lifestyle you've been convinced that you have to maintain. Well, I, you're, you're always going to be worried about how are you going to make it through the month? And you are going to have zero power when it comes to, to negotiating with an employer. Uh, but if you're not living paycheck to paycheck, you become steadily stronger and stronger and you can make bolder decisions. You can make maybe more demands for income where you, where you're working, or you can be more willing to take a chance of moving to another job and that, that kind of thing. So it's a progression of strength that if you stay on the path long enough, ultimately one day you wake up and you say, you know what? My money can make enough money that I don't need to trade my time and labor to meet my needs anymore. And that's kind of the goal that will come naturally. But the point is you'll be stronger and stronger each step of the way you get. And then because it's a combination of how much you have and how much you need, you know, you were talking about geo arbitrage. Well, one of the ways to, to retire earlier or to be financially independent earlier is to reduce your expenses. And, and uh, a lot of people successfully say, you know, I can earn my money in a part of the world that pays a lot. And then I can save and invest a good portion of that money and take it to a part of the world where it goes a lot further, like Thailand and is, is a great example. I know a lot of people personally who have done that. And, and these countries offer amazing uh, lifestyles. Uh, even within this country, there's a story in Pathfinders about a couple who were in the tech business in Silicon Valley, and, and uh, it was very tough to live a modest life there because things are so expensive, but they led a more modest life than most. Uh, they built uh, what I call the interim money. I call FU money. So they built FU money, and they got pretty well towards financial independence. And then they moved back to Ohio, where they're from. And of course, the cost of living in Ohio, which while it's higher than Thailand, is a whole lot less expensive than Silicon Valley. So that's another case of you don't necessarily have to leave the country if you're an American to, to right. implement that kind of strategy. Yeah. What, what, one question I had, which I which I sort of discussed with you a little bit before, and and it it's more i think for those listening obviously we're recording currently in 2023 um we don't have to we're not getting into politics but let's just say next year is an election year there are mm -hmm. a, mul a multitude of geo geopolitical events current global right. conflicts that are happening and you know i saw anecdotally um on social media a, 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 a young gentleman had taken pictures at costco a year ago and then went back mm -hmm. this year and and let's just say the prices at Costco weren't eight percent higher; they were sixty, seventy percent higher than than right. last year. So, so pretty exponential increase in pricing. And this is not something I think that I was taught growing up. And I, I think it's not necessarily something that everyone's thinking about, right? 
uh, on the one hand, currently, because inflation's so high, you can actually, aside from your investments in your VTSAX, if you do have some money, for example, in a savings account, you know, for the first time, at least that I can remember in a long time, you could theoretically get 5% interest in a pretty safe right. vehicle, which, which, is, which sounds right. great, which is what, what I was doing. I was like, okay, better than my previous account where I was earning next to nothing. Um, right. But then I, right. but then I thought to myself and, and had heard, well, actually, in some ways, I don't want to say that's a fool's errand, but I'd love your perspective on this. Because even if you're making 5% on the dollar, if the dollar's value depreciates, right? Like uh, for a variety of reasons, we start printing more money because, you know, we need we need to print more money, uh, as was the case in, 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 during COVID period or or whatnot, which which on the one hand boosts equities. And when there's more liquidity, uh, oftentimes things, um, you know, go up in value, which, which looks great. But on the other hand, on the back end of that, um, sometimes it looks like the cost parity and the and the and the the value of the purchasing power of that dollar uh, seems to be less potent or less powerful. Um, right. If we think about, I've made a okay. So let's just make let's use this example of okay. I I think I can get to this goal in the next 10, 20 years of. Let's stick with a million dollars, just because that's what we already talked about. But what if in 10 or 20 years, a, a, a million dollars, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm being extreme here. But like what if in, in 10 or 20 years, a million dollars uh, is the equivalent of what like $100,000 is right now, you know, or like 50000 in terms of actual purchasing power? Is that something that you think about? Is that is, is the is the hedge to that actually like what we're talking about, where you actually think about, you know, geo arbitrage where it's like, OK, but there's still places you can go to where that dollar goes further or whatnot. Um, it's, it's just something I've heard about more. And I know a lot of people are thinking about whether it be at the gas pump or the grocery store, that that things just seem to also be more expensive. Now, there's spending beyond your means and trying to keep up with the Joneses. That's a different thing. Um, actually right. for those who are being mindful with their expenses, um, is there a factoring in, in your model or way of thinking about like the power, the purchasing power and how we preserve for lack of a better term, the integrity of, of, of the lifestyle of our dreams, of that freedom we're looking to, um, in the context of, of how you think about, uh, financial independence. Right. So first of all, your speculation that at some point in the future, because of inflation, a million dollars Today we'll have this the uh, spending power of of a uh, hundred thousand a million dollars in the future. We'll have the spending power of a hundred thousand dollars today. Uh, you're absolutely right. In fact, you can look back in history and see that that in real time. I, you know, when I uh, when I think about my childhood, you know, back in the in the sixties. Well, if you had a hundred thousand dollars, I'm not going to be exactly right about that. That that's was the equivalent in those days of a million dollars. And of course, a hundred thousand dollars today doesn't, you know, doesn't buy a million dollars worth of goods, obviously. So inflation is a real thing. So that's the bad news. Mm -hmm. The good news is I mentioned, we mentioned this in the, in the context of your money lasting with the 4% rule being invested in BTSAX. Stocks are a wonderful inflation edge. In fact, uh, Ben Carlson, who writes A Wealth of Common Sense, did a, uh, a great great post not too long ago, maybe in last week, where he looked at how stocks perform under periods of low inflation, moderate inflation, and high inflation. Now, to be clear, we're not talking about hyperinflation. 
which absolutely destroys economies, the kind of things you saw in Germany in the 20s or Zimbabwe or Venezuela more recently. But if you're talking about the kind of inflation that we have now or had recently, 9%, 10%, or that we had in the 70s when it was up around 18 20%, that kind of inflation, stocks actually outperform, do better than in periods of low inflation. So if you are following the simple path to wealth, investing in VTSAX, uh, you will do very well. Uh, you'll be fine because that million dollars that you have today, uh, when it's only has $100,000 worth of spending power, your VTSAX is going to be more, worth much, much more than a million dollars at that point because of the power of growth and compounding. Okay. So when you look at the Trinity Beautiful. study in the 4% rule, you know, it, it suggests not only will your money last, and there's like 4% of the time where things go bad and it doesn't, but it, it lasts 96% of the time. But when you really look at those charts, after 30 years, not only has it lasted, but if you've only been drawing 4%, it's grown to extraordinary proportions. I mean, the million dollars we're talking about today, you know, in some scenarios is 10, 15, 30 million dollars out. So stocks are an incredible growth engine. So here's the real tragedy of inflation. And it's one of the things that kind of irritates me. And this is not political because it goes against, it goes across both parties. But the inflation that we're enduring now is triggered by the enormous debt that we've run up over the last decade, right? And yeah. a lot of that mm-hmm. debt uh, was put in place around COVID and with the idea of helping people. And there was sending, you know, we sent checks to people. Well, now we're paying the price. And unfortunately, it's not people like us. It's not people who are pursuing FI uh, and building wealth that are paying that price. Because, again, we have this inflation hedge. It's people who are living paycheck to paycheck who are getting crushed. Mm. Those are the people who go into Costco and, and are horrified at what they see because there's nothing in their life that is offsetting that inflation. Their salaries mm-hmm. or income is probably not growing nearly at the pace of that. So um, that's a reason to be very concerned about how our politicians spend so much money, number one. But it also should be a motivation to stop spending everything that you make. Stop if you are going into debt to maintain some sort of lifestyle and start building your own uh, stock portfolio, your own inflation engine, their, their inflation protection engine, I guess, and, and let, let the power work, work for you instead of against you. I think that's really powerfully said um you know before what's interesting is the micro and the macro at times in life often mirror each other and uh what's interesting is i study sort of i'm just a history buff i love studying history and and cycles Mm -hmm. and things of that nature and empires and you know i was thinking a lot about you know uh u.s dollars a default currency which relates to the power purchasing power of the dollar etc but but one of the things which is exactly aligned to what you said is countries oftentimes get in trouble when they go from the sort of uh, the hard work, 
save, you know, you know, the, the same things that are that are yes. the the virtues of an individual who puts themselves in a position of strength and power, which is F you money, financial independence. Uh, gov- governments as well, if we actually like one, one maintains the integrity of their nation when they follow those similar uh, principles. But when we spend way beyond our means, uh, when we borrow without end, um, you know, in the context of individuals, which, by the way, like uh, to speak very vulnerably, I have at times in life pursued leverage, gotten burned, and had to dig myself out of a dead hole. I am thankfully today debt-free. I learned my lesson the hard way, but I, I, I wanted to speak very candidly that I've I've learned yeah. the hard way what it's like to dig yourself out of debt in a deep hole, uh, twice in fact, and uh, and I'm committed to never going back to that place. Um, but, but I think the government has absolute – and again, I'm saying this apolitically. I'm not speaking to either party one way or the other. Right. I think this has cro- happened across. The American dream in some ways has been built off of the image of, of projecting uh, power. And in the context of the individual dream, that often looks like let me get the bigger house – let me get the fancier car, whether I can afford it or not. Um, right. And and a lot and a lot of like, like what, what I would say is this kind of lifestyle inflation, you know, of like okay, and, and unfortunately, um, all of us wind up paying for it, right? Because I think that I heard this last week, and, and forgive me, JL, it may not be entirely accurate, but it broke down the U.S. government debt, which I think right now, if if it was by per popul- per populace. Right now, each of us is over $100,000 in debt if you're a U.S. citizen um, mm-hmm. based on just the government's debt, right? Like, Because we are the government ostensibly. I mean, we are the, the American people. So, right. so it is to say, I think, I, think I, I really like this call, this clarion call that you represent to me of the sensibility that comes with really – values based like what what do you care where your your plan was not like oh i need to like i'm trying to become some huge financial guru you basically tried to instill a value in your daughter that wound up becoming this 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 treatise that grew exponentially because it resonated with so many people including myself of oh hang on like let's actually like reorient ourselves like what what truly does matter you know like for me this is i I share this because my audience knows me well but like you know my last two cars were bmws and and granted they weren't like it was i never have no interest in a you know lamborghini or anything like that but yeah i I, there were parts of that i liked and nothing wrong with that my current car is is a toyota and uh and i love it and and i and because my values it's like I love the reliability. Every time I would, even though I had a warranty, every time I'd take the time, I would go into the garage, the, the, you know, screws on that thing were like 300 bucks, you know, not even the part, you know, the screws. I was like, whereas the Toyota, I've had n- not one issue. And, and granted, there's no flex to it, but the flex is internal in knowing that I don't have to spend my time going to a garage, worrying about, you know, unexpected, you know, payment. And so I use that as a, as a small indication of, the counsel of those like you that I think are, 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 are trumpeting a call to what truly matters so that we live today with an orientation around. And I love the idea of F you, right? Like we're, we're, we're not beholden. We're not at effect to all these external, um, 
elements, we're creating a context in which our internal world um, sets us up as a protection from the changing circumstances of the outer world. Uh, I don't know if that's how you think about it, but but it, but that's very much what's been inspiring about about your story. And I just want to acknowledge you for that. And and I want to ask a little bit I, I, in in the book, you know, Pathfinders, but also in some of my research, I heard you talk about because because you're really telling the stories of other people and how they've applied some of these principles in their own life and, and and their own challenges but this notion i think so we've talked a little bit about the things you do out in the world to achieve financial independence but i think the, the impediment for most people is actually the inside job it's the mindset that they have around money and finances and you talked right. a little bit about your journey. Uh, you talked a bit about your father. I'd love it if you shared a little bit about y- your money mindset and and also what you've seen, obviously, now having kind of been in this landscape of how people can change. Because I'm not fully 100% where I want to be in terms of my mindset, but I've dramatically changed it through reading, for example, books like yours. I had Jen Sincero on, on the show who, who wrote a book called You're a Badass at Making Money. Like people that I really respect in terms of the psychology of, of, of changing the page. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about the inner work of, of a money mindset and creating the context of, of breaking through, so, whether it be self-limiting beliefs, scarcity, or, or just a childhood where maybe you went through some financial challenges. Uh, I'd, I'd love any insights or anecdotes that you could share about that inner, inner work of, of the money mindset. Yeah. So I, 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 I guess I'll start with, with where I think mine comes from. And that is, uh, uh, my dad was a manufacturer's rep and he was self-employed and he was pretty successful. And so, uh, when I was younger and he was younger, we had a, a, a pretty comfortable life. Uh, he was 40 when I was born, but he was a cigarette smoker. And the problem with cigarettes is not just that they kill you, but they erode your health along the way. And so his, his health failed gradually over, you know, a couple of decades. His ability to earn drifted down until it was non-existent. He, sim- he simply wasn't physically able to work anymore. And because he wasn't a saver and investor, you know, our lifestyle went from being very comfortable to being very uncomfortable. And I think watching that happen... Uh, is what made me realize that we we live in an inherently uh, risky world, you know, and and I want it to the best of my ability to insulate myself from that. I determined that I never want it to be solely dependent on my own ability to trade my labor for money because I had seen an example where a very successful man no longer could do that and, and how devastating that was. So that's, I think, what got me along the lines of first thinking about, about saving and investing. And that made me realize that my money, you know, money, all of our, our money can buy lots of amazing and wonderful things, you know, like houses and BMWs and, and what have you. But for me, the most important, the most wonderful, the most valuable thing I could imagine my money could buy was my financial freedom. 
And I think that's what I would, for everybody who's listening to us, that's the message that I would like them to, to take away, is that of all the things you can spend your money on, and it's your money, you can choose to spend your money however you wish. Um, but I would like you to be aware that you can spend it on buying your freedom. And that's not a message that you're going to get in our consumer culture from very many places. Now, once you've heard that message, and maybe even once you've read Pathfinders and, and Simple Path to Wealth, you may say, you know what? Okay, I know I could spend my money and buy my freedom, but I'd rather have the BMW or the fancy house or whatever. Hey, it's your life. It's your money. Personally, I think you're making a mistake. I hope you stay healthy, but it doesn't matter to me. Uh, but at least you will know that there is an option. And, uh, you know, it, it's like you mentioned you you now drive, drive a Toyota. Well, you made a choice there. You can drive a BMW, uh, but you have finite resources, or you can drive a Toyota and have X number of thousand dollars available to spend on something else by driving the Toyota. That's a choice that not everybody makes. That's a choice you didn't make uh, in the beginning. You you chose the BMWs, but that's okay. But at least you understand, and hopefully now all the people listening to us understand that that is a choice that we all make. And I applaud you for getting out of debt because what that tells me is that you had to sit back and change your lifestyle. You had to unravel some of that lifestyle inflation that you had created because otherwise you wouldn't have freed up the cash flow that you needed to pay down the debt. And I would say for anybody listening to us who, who is in debt, uh, that's, as you, as I'm sure you will agree, that's a really tough process to go through, right? But, oh, yeah. you know, it's tough to unwind a lifestyle. And it's tough to see this money that, you know, you used to spend on having fun get diverted just to paying down your debt. But here's the silver lining, is if you do that, if you adjust your lifestyle and you pay that debt down, once you've blown that debt out, you've developed this incredibly powerful habit of not spending everything that comes your way and freeing up money that you can spend now buying your freedom, just like you spend it getting rid of that debt, scraping those little bloodsuckers off. Now you can start channeling that money into buying, buying your freedom. And of course, you buy your freedom by buying financial assets. And in my world, that's low-cost, broad-based index fund like VTSAX. Yeah, I think that's it's so powerful. And I'll just mention also for those listening who may not have read the books yet, which I highly recommend you go pick up. Uh, it's not that JL, by the way, is any financial uh, – I mean, aside from his personal investments, he, he gets no uh, kickbacks or remuneration from VTSAX. It's just the Vanguard Fund, which happens to be a very low-cost – broad-based index fund. And if you look at the historical performance of index funds, which you can obviously research online, they traditionally outperform all the fancier uh, investment vehicles. And Vanguard just happens to have a very uh, low-fee uh, index fund. And, and oftentimes where people lose wealth in, in a way that they don't often think about it is that the 
when you're paying the fee to a financial advisor or financial firm, you know, now there's more robo advisors, et cetera, you know, there's generally basis points that are shaved off the top. So if you have someone active managing your money, you know, you're paying for it. And, and so when you choose a fund, like, like what you're referring to, you're choosing a low cost fund where that, where what would have been gone, gone, what would have gone towards paying someone else can get reinvested into your, into the, you know, the equities that you own or the fund that you own, so to speak. Uh, and, and it's, and that money stays with you. So I, I just share that for those who are like, you know, when someone mentions something so much, oftentimes like there's a little bit of like, oh, hang on, is this guy trying to sell me? And it's like, no, no, no. And I love that when you said that in the book, you're like, oh, by the way, I'm I am not a representative of Vanguard whatsoever. I just happen to have done the research and uh and and they offer a great product. So uh just wanted to share that out there for those listening. Um what do you what are your thoughts on um what are your thoughts on other assets? I mean, clearly you've chosen VTSAX, but I think some people listening and be like, well, what about real estate? I mean, there's still this notion in the United States, at least, and we have global listeners. So I'm just using this as a particular example right. that the house is the American dream and people still perceive their house as their greatest asset. Um, I've heard various Many people have different opinions on that particular point of view, uh, and obviously there's emotion attached to a house purchase, housing purchase, et cetera, which is also very different from real estate, passive real estate investing. But what are your thoughts on, and you don't have to go extensively into it, but what are your thoughts on other assets as it relates to financial independence and how do you think about, say, buying a home? So um, if we if we focus on the real estate part of that question to begin with, so there's owning your personal residence, but there's also investing in real estate. And then there's uh, uh, BTSAX, which is my preferred investment. So looking at investment real estate, which when I was younger, I fooled around with a little bit. What I would say is there is money to be made. If you take the time to, because if, you, if you're investing in uh, real estate, that's a business. And like any business, you need to take the time to learn how that business works. And if you're interested right. in doing that, and you take the time to learn how investment real estate works, there is money to be made. But you have to understand that it's kind of a hybrid. Because VTSAX is strictly an investment. You buy it, and then you don't have to do anything again. It's truly passive. With investment real estate, it's an investment, but it's also a part-time job, or sometimes for some people, a full-time job. If that's how you want to spend your time, more power to you. And if you learn how to do it correctly, you will probably prosper doing it. For me, it just felt too much like work, and that's not how I wanted to spend my time. Now, when it comes to owning your personal home, I have a reputation of being anti-house. And I have that mm -hmm. reputation because I wrote a post a number of years ago called Why Your House is a Terrible Investment. And this is the post on my blog that's gotten the most readership. It's generated the most hate in my direction and also, interestingly, <laughs> the most love. Because homeownership is the American religion. And, uh, you know, James, James Altucher once said... Uh, uh, and he's the one who coined that term, by the way, the American religion. He once said, you know, you could, you could go to Times Square and stand on a soapbox and say the most vile things you could possibly imagine about Jesus Christ, and people will ignore you and walk by. 
said, you get on that same soapbox and start suggesting that buying a home isn't the most wonderful, productive, profitable thing you can do, and people will be gathering stones, right? It's so, mm. but I, I, your house is not an investment. There are plenty of, of anecdotal incidents or stories about people who buy in, say, San Francisco back in the day, and they've done extraordinarily well. And, well, okay, they got lucky. There are also, of course, people who right. bought in Detroit and got absolutely decimated. And so then people will say to me, well, okay, I'll just buy in San Francisco. Well, from what I'm hearing now, San Francisco is going through some really difficult times, and Detroit's on a renaissance. Yep. So who's to say that San Francisco isn't the future Detroit and Detroit isn't the future San... And I, by the way, I'm not predicting that. I don't know. But you, your location, when you buy your house, you are very location-focused, and you better hope that location works out, right? So houses in my world are an expensive indulgence. And to be clear, I've owned houses most of my adult life. So I'm not anti-house. I'm anti the propaganda that it is always or even commonly a good investment. I am anti the propaganda that you should always buy the absolute most house you can afford because that just makes you house poor. You are much better off if you want to reach financial independence, either renting or buying the least house that meets your needs and investing that difference into something like VTSAX. So, Housing, you know, buying a house, and, and I actually own, <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to admit this given my reputation, but I, we just acquired a condo this year in Florida, and, you know, we, so we, now I own two properties, which, yeah, I've taken leave of my senses, I guess. But I bought them from a <laughs> position of, right? I, they are, and right. I recognize they are expensive indulgences. And if they happen to appreciate, that's great. If if they both went to zero, I wouldn't be happy, but it wouldn't change my life. That's, I think, the important distinction right there. It's it's a different come from when it's an indulgence and and wonderful if it if it appreciates, but it's not. It's you're not putting everything you own into that with the expectation that it'll appreciate. And I think more right. fundamentally, which which you spoke about at the beginning of your statement as it comes uh, and relates to real estate investing is I think the thing that most of us don't spend enough time thinking about, which is the value, the true value of our greatest uh, resource, which is time and, and, and how much time we spend in trying to actively manage a property. Now, if you love that, that's great, but right. You know, Steve Jobs had all the money in the world. I think he would have given all that up in a heartbeat to live one more year of life. And so, you know, uh, and and as and as much as I have reverence, you know, for 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 many out there, um, I think if we if you have time and health ahead of you, and you happen to have created a context wherein you have a financially firm footing, then then truly, I feel like life uh, is 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 infinite in its possibilities. And I think. Sometimes we look at we, we kind of pull from Peter to pay Paul. Like we're we're like, oh, okay, I'm going to buy this thing because we think it's going to appreciate. But then, what does it cost us in terms of our time? What does it cost us in terms of our like emotional health and well being? You know, like in terms of our, our our other values. And that's something I've thought about more and more as I want to create a family and 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 instill those 
values like you have in, in your daughter now and, and many others. Um, but, but it comes down to setting yourself up. I feel like for that true, uh, agency and sovereignty of freedom that comes from that, from that both financial firm footing, but also flexibility to, to be and do what you want, where you want, with whom you want. That to me is, is, is true freedom. And I feel like, um, you've laid forth a pathway for yourself, but also for many people to follow. Um, what, what were one of the greatest insights for you? I, I'm writing a book now, and it's absolutely kicking my butt, if I'm honest. This is now, I think, your <laughs> third book, Pathfinders. Uh, what's yeah. been, what was one of the greatest revelations for you in the process? What, what, what uh, either through the, some of the stories you gathered or, or the writing process itself, what was one of the revelations for you, JL, in, in that process? Well, so my heart goes out to you if you're writing a book because, you know, I I <laughs> I, 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 I see uh, writers interviewed and some of them will say, oh, I love writing. Uh, uh, Gloria Steinem was once asked if uh, uh, if she loved writing and, she, and her response was, I love having written. And that yes. describes me. Yes. I, I find writing. Yeah, writing is just sheer drudgery. And when I was the simple path to wealth took me three years, and the main reason it took me three years is because it was such writing was so difficult and, and such a grind um, that I would put it down in disgust and walk away from it. Uh, and you know, the other thing is, especially for simple path to wealth being my first, you have no idea when you're writing your first book, whether anybody's going to read it, whether anybody's going to care. And so you have all this extraordinarily difficult, fairly unpleasant work, not knowing if, if there'll be any payoff, you know, when you go to a job, you know, you're going to get your paycheck, but this is, you know, this is a real act of, of faith. And fortunately I had friends who kept dragging me back to it. But the real motivation was I was writing this for my daughter because I wanted her to have this information available. First, I created the blog for that reason. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to create a better organized, uh, a more concise format of the basic approach that, that, that I've created that I call the simple path to wealth. And that way, if nobody else buys this book, I can hand this to her and say, you know, when the time comes, you're ready to read it. Even if I'm not around here, it, here it is. Now with Pathfinders, it, it was considerably easier, not easy, but considerably easier. I, first of all, I had a publisher and I had a wonderful editor who was a great collaborator uh, in that process. And I knew that I was writing something that people would want to hear you know, because I'd been hearing these stories myself and I knew that when other people heard them and, and what have you, they responded very positively to them. So, you know, I, I, that, in that, because that end goal was much clearer and, and I knew it would be positive, it was, you know, it was easier to, to grind through the, through the hard stuff. But, but the first one was, yeah. For as I say, you know, it took three years because I I kept walking away from it. It probably, if I'd been focused, I could have done it in a year. I probably took an actual year's worth of writing to do the simple path of wealth. It took two years of of sitting sitting back, being 
<laughs> being unwilling to continue. No. <laughs> I I know it well. I know that cadence very well. So uh, yeah, I can I can very much relate, uh, and I appreciate you sharing. Um, was there was there a on the other side? Uh, when you said you have no idea who's going to who's going to read it, thankfully, obviously, in your case, a number of people did. Now we're having this conversation today mm-hmm. because I did, uh, and I'm sure multitudes of people done Chautauqua. Like it, it's led to a life beyond its own. Now, looking back on that, um, what's been the greatest wealth of having written that book, if you will, right? Like, and, and like whether it be wealth of experience, wealth of relationship, um, what 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 what's been the reward what's been the the proverbial paycheck so to speak uh for from writing that book yeah so i i uh, to answer that if you'll indulge me uh you know the the reason all of this came about is because i i think this stuff is so important mm-hmm. and your life is can be so much richer and filled with so many more options if you get money right and it yeah. can be so difficult if you don't that obviously I wanted that for my daughter. And I made a mistake of pushing it way too soon and way too hard. And I managed to turn her off to things financial. Uh, and I was troubled by that. And I was concerned. I was hoping at some point she'd be willing to hear it again. But, you know, I wasn't sure if I'd be around to tell her. So I started writing a series of letters to her and that I shared with a business colleague of mine. He said, you know, this is pretty interesting stuff. You ought to put it on a blog. And I'd never seen a blog uh, at that point. This is in 2011. Um, but I kind of vaguely knew what they were. And I thought, this is a great way to archive the information. And uh, and he said, you know, send it around to your family and friends, which is why my blog is JL Collins NH, which stands for New Hampshire, where we lived at the time because I wanted my family and friends to know it was me. That's why I don't have a clever blog name like some of the other financial blogs I do that are out there. But anyway, I, so I, I created this thing with just that intention of archiving this information for my, for my daughter. And, and then to my amazement, it, it, of course, my family and friends didn't care as I kind of figured they wouldn't, would, <laughs> uh, wouldn't, but, uh, but, but then to my amazement, it, it, you know, people who didn't know me started to find it and share it. And, and, you know, the audience started to, to kind of grow organically. And then I created the Chautauqua retreats in 2013 and then wrote the simple path to wealth that came out in 2016. My daughter, who by the way, is now firmly on the simple path to wealth. She's 31. She likes to tease me now. And she says, you know, dad, uh, if I'd listened to you when I was young, there'd be no blog, there'd be no Chautauquas, there'd be no books, there'd be no one who wanted to to hear what you had to say. Michael wouldn't want to be interviewing you, so you all owe it all to me not <laughs> listening. In fact, there's a chapter, the last chapter in Pathfinders is titled The Little Girl Who Wouldn't Listen, which is an interview that Christine Benz did with with uh, uh, with my daughter and my and myself. So that's where it all comes from. So the blessing, it's, it's been an incredible decade, actually about 12 years now, as I'm thinking about, but it's, you know, Mm. the blessings are enormous because I've met so many incredible people on this journey. I have Mm. friends 
all over the world in it, by the way, in all age ranges. I mean, I have, and I don't use the word friend lightly when I say I, I have friends that are in their 20s. I have friends that are in their mm-hmm. 90s. I, you know, most people have friends in a pretty narrow range of their own, of their own age. Um, and all these people bring incredibly different, wonderful things in, into my life. Uh, and I get the opportunity to meet mm-hmm. somebody like you and have cool conversations like this. I mean, those are, you know, yeah, it's been incredibly rewarding. It has been certainly the most rewarding work of my life. And, you know, it's for the most, other than the writing part of it, it hasn't felt that much like work. <laughs> That's beautiful. And and thank you for that uh, beautiful reflection. I think it's, 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 it's powerful. And also as someone who's, uh, you know, I'm 98,000 words in, but now that needs to be chopped into something that that the reader would really love uh but to know that there's and today was very frustrating to know that there's um <laughs> there are a lot of those possibility days. uh yeah 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 a lot yeah. to know that there's a possibility of that kind of uh upside and and honestly and that's where i really think about wealth um is the kind of relationships uh that they that that can be yeah. afforded through our through our endeavors and you know, there's Harvard research that shows, and this this is in part what the book's about, so it's a bit self-serving, but uh, it's for the audience, basically, that the greatest corollary to our long-term health and happiness, so literally how long we live and the quality with which we live is is the quality, the great single greatest corollary is the quality of our long-term relationships. And, and so for me, I have realized that I want to optimize the, this, this, the rest of my life around relationships. And for me, financial freedom and financial uh, independence is integral to that, right? Because at least growing up, the, the, most of the stresses that I witnessed and bore witness to were around, were around money. And, and I think, mm. you know, it is in many ways the cause of strain. It's probably the number one cause of strain in many relationships as it relates to marriages, et cetera. Um, but it doesn't have to be. I feel like if, and I love that, for example, one of the sections is around, you know, the importance of your spouse and who you choose to partner with. And, and right. I think that the shared, va- the shared values, but um, to me, I'm optimizing around health, around financial independence and around the relationships that those two things can afford. And I uh, am very grateful uh, for you and your work, uh, JL, because um it's been a real catalyst for me to think differently about finance and about it. Really, I've always had freedom as a core value, um, but I didn't necessarily put finance in the same ilk, if I, if you will, right? Like I, I associated freedom with with travel and and not having to you know necessarily work for someone else all the time, but I didn't quite see how they are dramatically intertwined if you have that financial footing such that you're not beholden or add effect to the agendas of other people. And my hope is, and and this is not to vilify, by the way, anyone who's working a nine to five job, but for the last several years, um, I got out of the nine to five context and I've tasted a little bit of what that freedom for me can be. And it's been a revelation. And also 
I've realized how to not get too savvy and and rein it in and use simple tools like your simple path to wealth so that I can right. focus on what I really care about and not get too crafty and then put myself in a hole I, I have to then dig myself out of. So I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you um, for your work and the way that I, I believe it served so many people around the world. Um, I'd also love it if you could share with people where they can find you. Definitely, I recommend picking up a copy of Pathfinders. Um, actually, I would start with Pathfinders and then read Simple Path to Wealth. Uh, I don't know. If, I, I think that you would, you would, uh, you actually may have even said that that before, but it, it makes sense to me. Um, where can people find you if they want to delve deeply into the blog, into your work? Um, where, where's, where's the best place to connect with J.L. Collins? Well, probably the the best place to start is the blog, and that's jlcollinsnh.com. I, maybe you'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and then, you know, yep. from the blog, if, if you want to, uh, I have a weekly newsletter, and, it, you know, it's free, and there's a little place at the bottom of every post on the blog. You can sign up for that. And, you know, I'm on Twitter and, and Facebook, and that, that, that's about the extent of my, my social media. So, uh, and then the books, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, there's a simple path to wealth. The one in the middle is the story of the very first piece of real estate I bought, which was an absolute debacle. And I can now tell that story in, with amusement. Uh, and the title of that book is How I Lost Money in Real Estate Before It Was Fashionable. It's a very, very short book, kind of a, hopefully a fun read. Uh, wonderful illustrator uh, did illustrations for it. In fact, I liked her so well, and Nicolette by name, uh, that we uh, we drafted her into doing illustrations in uh, Pathfinders. Uh, cool. Yeah, so obviously the three books, uh, you know, are, are an overview and they you can once you go to the blog you'll you won't have any trouble finding the books if you're so inclined excellent and definitely recommend everyone checks that out uh a final question for now uh jl is if there's one obviously the, the path is simple in and of itself but if there were one thing that you hoped people walked away with as a starting point in their path to wealth in their path to financial independence uh what would that first step be um or 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 one insight to get people started right not not the whole picture but that first sort of step right. so you you mentioned and and uh, uh and i obviously i agree although i didn't think about this when i was writing pathfinders but i think pathfinders in many ways is is of the two books is probably the place to start and the reason, because it it makes people aware that this is something they can do, because you're going to read in Pathfinders stories from 100 people who are doing it from all different kinds of backgrounds and some some very challenging starting points. So I think the first thing is just to realize that if you choose to, you can you can become financially free. And even if you never get to that end point, as we said earlier, you can become stronger and stronger uh, financially. Uh, and then when it comes to investing, just one thing I'd, I'd like to throw out, throw out that we didn't get a chance to touch on, because the volatility of, of the stock market is very scary. And the mistake that people make when they first get into it is they put their very hard-earned money into it, and then the market drops. 
and they're like, holy cow, there goes, you know, I worked so hard for that, that, you know, that $10,000 and now 3000 of it's gone. And that's terrifying. And what people need to understand is market drops are a natural part of the process. You'll never get that listing, you know, reading the newspaper or watching TV is when the market drops, those guys just go in full panic mode and it's sell, sell, sell. The market always recovers. And the fact that it drops periodically is simply the price that we have to pay in order to get the outsized long-term wealth building results that something like VTSX can can provide. But have no doubt, the market does drop periodically, and sometimes it drops pretty dramatically. And what you do when that happens is nothing. You just stay the course. If anything, you recognize that if you're building your wealth, you want the market to drop because then you get to buy more shares for the same amount of money. So just realize that like hurricanes in Florida or uh, blizzards in in, uh, Chicago, uh, you know, those things happen, but they never, they can be scary. They could be dangerous. If you run out in the middle of them in a panic, they can, you know, they can kill you. But if you don't do that, if you hunker down and just wait, knowing that they're not going to last and the sun comes out again, you will do fine. Don't try to time the market. Just keep relentlessly putting money in and let it work for you in the long term. So I think those are the things that I'd probably leave on today. That's beautiful. Thank you, JL Collins. Really appreciate you and you're taking the time to uh, speak with us today. Michael, I've enjoyed the conversation. I'm happy to come back anytime you'll have me. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with JL Collins as much as I did. Uh, it has informed the way that I approach my money and the way that I invest it for optimal well-being, for for my 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 freedom, and and really honoring the time that we have with loved ones, redefining the way that I perceive wealth, and and honestly redefining my orientation towards money in a new light and seeing it with um, the love and the grace and the potentiality that it can afford uh, to us and our loved ones. So with that, if there's someone you think in your life would benefit from listening, please share the episode. Uh, If you loved it, it would mean the world to me if you left a rating and review, uh, especially over there on Spotify where we're building. We've, We've done pretty good on Apple Podcasts, but would love a rating and review. And if you have any feedback, please uh, send me a note at Michael Trainer on all social platforms. Always love hearing from you. And please feel free to check out our sponsors, Momentum and Upgraded Formulas. Great products I use daily. Sending you guys so much love. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be well out there.